Let's, let's remain standing. And we're just going to read uh, page 964 in your, in your Bibles, um, the Pew Bibles, from Matthew 6 and verses 5 through 9. I decided for a number of reasons. I'm just going to deal with the little phrase, when you pray, okay? Matthew 6, verses 5 through 9, and, and when you pray, this is page 964 in your pew Bibles, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, Go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him, which begs the question, then why do you pray if He knows what you need? Well, we'll come to that. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever, to which you say together, hallelujah, and thanks be to God. And you also want to be in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 6. I think the subject of prayer is, is absolutely fascinating. Um, and, and the most basic uh, description of what prayer is, it's a child talking to a father, period. That's what prayer is, a child talking to a father. But you begin to really think through what that means. And this would be a more expansive definition. And I even cut it a little bit short, okay? This would be a more expansive definition of prayer. Complicated and conflicted people bringing or trying to bring their complications and their confusions to the infinite God who knows and understands perfectly everyone and every aspect of these complications and confusions, I'm not done yet, and who loves to hear his people pour out their hearts to him reverently and freely. Don't ask me to repeat it. <laughs> and that's kind of a clipped version of why that subject of prayer is like the Grand Canyon. You can never really plumb its depths or its beauty, or its majesty. And, and prayer, prayer is just so natural in many ways. And you just think of the scripture. Now, it, it's very interesting. You don't have any record of Adam speaking with God in the garden. But you can't imagine that he didn't. God did speak with Adam, and he was to name the animals and so on. And, and you can't imagine that Adam was not speaking with the Lord. I mean, if you have to define what a, or describe or give a name for a platypus, you need some advice. And so you would imagine that, that along with God speaking with Adam, Adam spoke with God. It's very interesting that the first place you have a person speaking with God is recorded in the Scriptures is Cain, who had just slain his brother Abel. 
And he said, it's a complaint. He says, my punishment is more than I can bear. And he tells God that rather freely. And if you take the view, and, and I'm inclined to it, that the book of Job was probably written about the time that uh, the first five books of the Bible were written, what is Job? It's a continued complaint to God about, it's not all that, there's counsel in it, not good counsel, but, but Job complains to God about things, reverently but freely. And you really have the, the first kind of conversation with God when you have Abram, and you can understand this because Abram, his wife is uh, nearly 100 years old, well past childbearing age, and God says, oh, you're going to have a child. <laughs> if you were in New York, we'd say, yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, but he speaks to God, and God says, well, there's a conversation. And he says, go out, look at the stars. And there were a lot, you could see them far better than we can here, uh, once we get some clear weather to even see the stars. But, but, but he converses with God, and so you have that kind of conversation. And, and Moses, this is amazing. And here again, you don't have the record of Moses speaking with God, but you do have God saying that he spoke to Moses as a friend. Whoa! This is the God who made the heavens and the universe, and he speaks to Moses as a friend. And again, you can't imagine that Moses was not also speaking back as he does. And, and so you, that kind of flowing in the Old Testament, and then you really have the flowering of prayer because David, sweet psalmist of Israel, uh, so much of that is just prayer to the Lord and then the prophets. And by, by that point, you've got not just flowers, but a field of flowers in which the prophets have quite serious conversations with God about what's to come. That's all condensed in Christ. And you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of how frequently Jesus just got aside, got apart in order to pray to his God. And, and what is quite telling is here you have the early church that is bewildered by this man, Saul, uh, who, he was maybe going to destroy the church. And the Lord stops Saul on the way to the oldest city that we know of, Damascus. And he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes right to Saul's heart, convicts him, and, and does what is one of the great proofs of the Christian faith. He takes this man that was on the fast track to be the leader of the Pharisees and opponents of the church, and he, and he, makes, them a, he makes them a staunch believer and apostle. How did the church know that Saul was converted? Ananias, who was to go meet him, is told, Behold, he prays. And again, we're going to go back to what prayer is basically. Prayer is a child delivered from its mother's womb, and the child cries. Prayer, as you're going to learn in a bit, is a breathing out of what God has given us in Scripture. If your child doesn't breathe after birth, that child is dead. And if you don't pray, then you're dead. That's why Jesus doesn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray, because it is the response of a child to a father. So anyway, that, that's just kind of the introduction. Um, so prayer is, is a pretty natural thing, right? And yet the disciples would ask Jesus, not here but elsewhere, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray the way other people teach their disciples to pray. And in that other context, 
Jesus would give what we know here as the Lord's Prayer, really the disciples' prayer. And here's the point. Prayer is a natural conversation of a child to a father. But what do you pray for? What are your priorities in prayer and why? And God willing, we'll get to that beginning next week. We're going to start that this week. But I think it's most important just to deal with this probing phrase, when you pray. Why plop into the middle of the Sermon on the Mount to do this? And God willing, we'll go back to the earlier part of it. Why? Well, it's significant that literally right in the middle of this sermon that's really a constitution for the Christian church, the kingdom of God, literally the, the heart of it, is prayer. And the reason for that is this. Without God answering prayer, without God working in response to prayer, we'll come back to that, you can't do anything. And when you realize, as we do in our age, that we are dealing with a desperately wicked culture, when you realize that you and I are utterly unable to thwart any one of God's and our enemies, when you realize we're dealing with an intractable devil who lurks as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, you better pray. <laughs> you don't have the power to do otherwise. And so right in the middle, one thing I think I remember years ago, and I'm sure this is still true, um, years ago when I was in Israel, and we were learning a little bit about uh, the way that the government there was structured. It was stunning that we learned then the term was universal military training, and they may still use it. But in Israel, every individual within 48 hours could be marshaled for war. Everyone. And, and in a sense, that's kind of what prayer is. As we deal with the assaults of the devil and the outcroppings of them, of which we had many recently, you better be prepared to pray. Okay, And it goes right down to a Zoom prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Now I realize it's not the Lord's Day. You can't bind people on a day other than the Lord's Day. I get that. I get that. Uh, but um, what else do you have that's more important on Wednesday at 7.30 than praying? Do you realize what we're dealing with in this world. And you'll realize when we come to it how prayer is so indispensable in those battles. Okay, that, that, I don't want to get too far afield, um, but let's just focus now on that little phrase, when you pray. Matthew 6 and verses 5 through 8. And I've just got basically two points for today, although the first introduction's already been a point. Um, verses 5 through 8, the not... And the buts of prayer, not but. There's two not buts in verses 5 through 8. And then how you begin in verse 9. You begin the way the Lord told you to begin. Now notice Jesus does not say in verse 5, if you pray, when you pray. That, that folks, that is the constant mark of a person who's a true believer. To put it bluntly, if you don't pray in some way, then you've got to be converted. When God converts you, he gives you the spirit of adoption by which you cry, Abba, Father. 
Now, that's kind of a messy cry, quite frankly. And uh, sometimes it's too loud a cry, sometimes it's too soft, but it's a cry. That's why you've got to ask, how do we pray? But, but the point is, when you pray, and we'll come back to this, best, best description of what prayer is. You breathe in the Word of God. And you breathe out prayer. How's that? Okay, that's really what it is. You, you breathe in what the Word of God says. You breathe out prayer. We're not talking about how long you pray. Uh, we're not talking about um, whether you're praying in the best way. None of us ever does. But when, when you pray, when you are doing what's natural to us, you're breathing, you're breathing out to prayer to the Lord. Now, here's the first not but, okay? This is not for show, Verse 5, when you pray, it, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, what's a hypocrite? A hypocrite, and I don't mean actors on the stage are hypocrites, but, but a hypocrite does mean an actor on a stage. It's a person going through an act. It's a person going through a role. It's a person doing what he or the, she thinks is expected of him or her in that role, a hypocrite, because they love not to, not to speak with God, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, brothers and sisters, and please don't get me wrong in this, okay? I'm not a particular fan of athletes who love to get down on their knees and pray publicly. I don't know why that's necessary. I'm not judging their hearts. But the scriptures speak against praying for show. So don't be like that. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And there are rewards in prayer. All right? So, so don't be like the hypocrites. You don't do this for show. And there's where ministers have got to be so careful. Oh, pastor, I was so moved by your prayer. Well, I hope you are moved by prayers. But you don't prepare your prayer so that people will be moved by it. If, if you're putting together the thoughts for prayer, and there, that is something in our pastoral prayer. Folks, if I just let go of the things to pray for, forget it. We'd be here till mid-afternoon. And so there's an order in it. Now, if that order is done... So that you say, Pastor Shishko, that was a beautiful prayer. And that's the way I did it. I've got my reward. Right? In the nature of the case. That's not why you do it. You don't do it for show. But rather, Jesus says, when, again, when, when you pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now, your Father is mentioned several times in these verses, right down through uh, verse 15, and we'll come back to that. When you pray, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, let me put it this way. There's a parallel between the intimacy that a husband and wife have in their marital union and the intimacy that you have when you pray to your Father in heaven. It's not sexual intimacy, but it is intimacy. It, it is a one fleshness. It's a freedom to express yourself and for the one who loves you to express himself to you. And in the nature of the case, uh, 
unless you're a barbarian, you, you don't do that publicly. That's to be done, and that's, that's the idea of, of a secret place, of, of a quiet place. Where now if your devotions are on the Long Island Railroad, your secret place is in your seat where you close your eyes and you kind of block out everybody else, and, and we get that. But the point is it has to be a place in which you are in intimate communion, intimate fellowship with God as your Father. Again, the language of God to Moses as a man or as a woman to a friend. Do you think of your prayers like that? Now, toward the end of this, I want to zero in on why many of you don't, why many of us don't. But that's the way you must think as a man to a friend. And here again, God speaks in his word, and that's you breathe that in, and then you breathe out prayer and response. That's why in many circles, worship is called prayers, morning and evening prayers, because God speaks by his word, and we respond, okay? Now, in order to do think of this for a minute, you are speaking as a person to a friend, your Father in heaven. That has to begin with a right relationship. If you have a friend that you have offended, and your friend knows you have offended him or her, you don't just start out with your familiar conversation. What's the first thing that you do as you sit with your friend and are greeted by your friend and greet your friend? The first thing that you do is say, hey, before we go any further, I need to ask your forgiveness. Hello? What does that sound like? That's worship. That's why worship begins the way it does. You need to be reconciled to your friend. And so with God, that's all the first thing that we do. Now, in the Lord's Prayer, it isn't. We'll get to the reason for that as we go through this. But in, in most cases, well, actually, you begin, you know the God you're dealing with and his glory and his majesty. And like Isaiah, you say, I'm a man or a woman who's undone, a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of, of unclean lips. But you want to have that relationship with an offended friend. And brothers and sisters, this begins with the gospel. You see the little Dell paperbacks. Although they don't sell them as much as they used to, but the articles, how you can have intimacy with God. And there's no mention of asking forgiveness. Don't waste your money, folks. The way you begin is by saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And as you'll learn, he's merciful to you in more ways than ever you can imagine, whether you realize it or not. But that's why you pray in Jesus' name. It's not in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is giving a form for prayer here, but we're taught you pray in Jesus' name. Why? Lord, I need your forgiveness. I cannot come before my Father without acceptance in the Son. And then notice the language, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I've read too often, and you have too, prayer doesn't change things. Prayer changes you. Okay, prayer changes us. But to say prayer doesn't change things is wrong. That's not taught in the scriptures. You have not because you ask not. And it's interesting that, that Jesus 
As you go on in the Sermon on the Mount in your, in your Bibles, if you just go ahead to uh, chapter 7 and verses 7 through 11, uh, Jesus, it's almost like Jesus is giving a P.S. Ask, which means keep asking, and it will be given to you. Seek, keep seeking, and you will find. Knock, keep knocking, and it will be opened to you for everyone who, every, everyone who asks receives. Now he's dealing with kingdom, people who are repentant, people who've come to Christ. Everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread? Now notice the language. A son, the father to his son, will give him a stone. Some of you have had fathers who have given you stones which makes it difficult for you to pray the Lord's Prayer. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven, our Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And Luke says, Jesus says here, the Holy Spirit. He, 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 think about it, folks. He is our greatest need. I have a terminal illness. I need healing. Well, in Christ, you'll have that one day. You know what you need more than anything else? Grace to go through that trial. How does that come? By the Holy Spirit. He is always, as I remind you, our greatest need. So, God doesn't change things, he changes us. No, God doesn't change. And it's not that God changes his decree, but in the same way evangelism is an instrument for winning the lost, that is winning those whom God has already chosen from the foundation of the world. As eating and drinking are instruments by which you strengthen and sustain your life, even though the Lord already has numbered your days, so prayer is an instrument without which God does not do things. You have not because you ask not. Prayer is an instrument. Brothers and sisters, you pray? When you're struck with the magnitude of your needs, do you simply become self-pitying? Or do you put these things before the Lord? And here again, it's, it's breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, okay? Now that's the first not but, not for show, but intimate communion, infinite fellowship with your Father in heaven. Second not but, verses 7 and 8, it is not magic, and it's not manipulation, but it's conversation and communion. And here you see the language that's given. You go back to Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, those unbelievers do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now there's a frankly, a rather humorous illustration of this in the life of Elijah. And the prophets of Baal were so much like many modern practitioners of religion. 
if you just do the right things and you pray hard enough and you say the right words enough, then, then eventually God is going to be bound to answer you. Just say your rosary. Well, that's not a blast at Roman Catholics. Many Christians do the same thing. A prayer cloth that you use. Um, that's manipulation. That's, but, but here's the illustration. And it, it's in 1 Kings 18. Elijah, he's going to confront the prophets of Baal. He says, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire on it. So they take the bullets given them, they prepare it, they call upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. The Lord really will hear me if I say 15 prayers. Okay. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And then they limped around the altar that they'd made. And at noon, Elijah, these are the things you're supposed to do if you're going to get forgiveness, right? So they, they, they limp around, and, and then Elijah mocked them. <laughs> there is a place for holy mocking, saying, cry aloud, for he's a god. Incidentally, if he's a god, you don't need to cry aloud, but that's the point. He's mocking them. Either he's musing, or to put it bluntly, he says, maybe he's just going to the bathroom. He is relieving himself, or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep. He's got to be awakened. And they cried aloud. And then they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Have you ever heard of penance? The things you are supposed to do to afflict yourself so that God will listen? And brothers and sisters, here again, I, I'm quite frankly astounded at how many Protestants say we need to observe Lent. Hello, where do you get this in the scriptures? Well, it's good to have times that we humble ourselves and ask forgiveness. Don't do that for 40 days. That's every day. Amen. But you see, folks, how the ceremonial and the symbolic will begin to take the place of the reality? And in a church, ecclesiastical, evangelical culture, in which piety is almost a curse word, there will be the esteeming of Lent. That's exactly what's in view here. Not Lent, but do these things, and then God will hear you. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And you use your prayer cloth and think that somehow God's going to hear, you're not going to pay attention. All of these histronics, all of these activities, all of this self-inflicted punishment, that's not what prayer is about. As you go back to Matthew, that's what, that's what the Lord is, you almost think Jesus has that in view here. And they think they're going to be heard from their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father, 
And, and incidentally, and, and this is not a blast on, on the Roman church, but I, I, I reread to be sure I'm getting this right, okay? Because popular representations of Roman Catholicism aren't always accurate. But when I'm reading the Roman Catholic Catechism this morning, and I'm reading that, the, that one of the best ways of devotion is to come before the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the name of the Holy Mother of God? Mary was not the Holy Mother of God. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. She was the instrument for the birth of the God-man. But even with that, why? Well, Father, the heart of Mary is something that will win the heart of the Son. Come on, folks. That's not taught in the Scriptures. Anyway, so, so Jesus says here, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Which is, why do you pray if the Father knows what you need before you ask him? Why do you pray? God loves his children that he chose, that he gave his son to redeem. Those to whom the Holy Spirit's given well, the spirit of adoption. See how, see how sonship, being children of God, is it, part of the whole package of what God does. Not only does he, he love you, he loves to hear you. Fathers love to hear their children speak with them. I think of the old television series with Robert Young, Father Knows Best, right? Your father knows best. And I think it's one of the tragic symptoms of, of our culture uh, that fathers who sometimes have learned a few things in life, as mothers have, are very often neglected by their children because their parents aren't with it. Don't treat God, your father, that way. Any father who's experienced that from their children knows that really hurts. And your father loves, loves to have you <laughs> come before him and speak to him. Um, so anyway, that, that's just part of the answer. Now, let's go to then how you begin in prayer. And that's in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. There you go. Three points. Our Father in heaven. Biblical religion, folks, is not just about your individual salvation. In fact, I go so far as to say it's not primarily about your individual salvation. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And it's again part of the foul odor of American individualistic religion that people will say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. Uh, excuse me, I wouldn't speak that way about Christ's bride if I were you. Amen. Our Father in heaven. Now, why does Jesus say this when he says, when you pray, then go alone and pray in secret? Well, both are true. You are to have individual communion with the Lord. No, taking that away. 
But when you fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you have agonized, whether it's with one or a few, over some issue you're facing, do you just simply say, adios? Or do you say, let's wrap this time up by praying together? Now, people will say, well, I'm not really comfortable with that. That's the problem. That should be the norm, is that when you come discussing with one another as friends, those things that are matters that are eating at you, you don't leave that meeting of the group without praying, Our Father in Heaven. And I want you to get comfortable with that. Because our means I'm part of something far bigger than myself. Okay, so number one, when you pray, it's our Father, which actually is used six times in verses 5 to 15. Uh, now, you also pray to the Son and the Spirit. That'll be for another time. It's legitimate to pray. But primarily, you're going to be praying to your Father. Why? Because you're given the spirit of adoption by which you cry out, Abba, Father. Do you live as adopted children? Or do you live as slaves? If you live as people who begrudge every act of obedience in the Christian life, you're really hurting yourself. You're a child of God. And you have a Father in heaven, and the epitome of that relationship is praying. And it's our Father in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? God is personal. He's our Father. And He's infinite. He's in heaven. And he has all power. The, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, in its section on prayer puts it so beautifully like that. Memorizable, okay? What does the preface or what does the introduction to the Lord's Prayer teach us? The preface of the Lord's Prayer, which is our Father who is in heaven, teaches us to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence as children to a father. There's reverence in it and confidence. Able and ready to help us. Now, for some of you, that's not your view of a father, but we'll deal with that. And that we, you should pray with and for others. Do you? Resolution for the new year. Let's get over our hyper-individualism, folks. Sister, I heard this past Sunday, uh, you're going through this particular trial. I just wanted to give you a call, let you know uh, that uh, we're, we're praying for you. And uh, could we have a little time of prayer on the phone? Don't say I'm not comfortable with it. Get comfortable with it. And learn in all the things that you do to do them in, in prayer. Okay, so our Father in heaven. Now, I want to respond to an objection that I first got, I think it was the first time I ever spoke on, on the Lord's Prayer. It was in Franklin Square. Prayer, and it's something like this, because I, it was one of my pet peeves is we have a prayer meeting, okay? 7.30 to 9 o'clock, and we spend about five minutes praying. And, uh, you know, Bull in the China Shop, Bill, I said, you know, I, I, don't, if you, I don't mind if you want a Bible study on Wednesday night, but don't call it a prayer meeting. It's going to be a prayer meeting. You pray. 
And so we did. We shifted that over until finally it was a good, a good lengthy time of prayer. So it began with the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven. And the wife of one of our elders, very sensitive, very sensitive, godly woman, she said, I had a real hard time with what you said tonight. I said, uh-oh, <laughs> what, now what, what did I do this time? She said, you don't know what my father was like. And she started to lay out for me what her view of father was. And I'd have a hard time with this. And that may be true of you. In some cases, as with me, I never knew my earthly father. He was killed two and a half months before I was born. And so the idea of looking to God as a father, I had to realize that this was not a, an absent dad. This is a father who's present. So you have to work through those things. Or, or in, in some cases, um, it's people who are taught that somehow you have to go to God through another intermediary like Mary or whatever it would be. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. You pray this way, our Father in heaven, but you don't know my view of my dad. Dear brothers and sisters, in any area in life, you don't get your view of what God says in his word from any earthly relationship. What does God tell you and show you about these things? Now, let me give you three texts, and I'll let you look at them. Number one, Psalm 103 and verses 8 through 14. Psalm 103 and, and verses 8 through 14. And I do want you to look at these texts. Because they lay out in word the heart of God. What's your view of God? Harsh? Mean? A God who's going to slap you down when you make a mistake? The Lord is merciful, Psalm 103.8 and page 594. And gracious, slow to anger. And I want you to get this phrase, he is abounding in steadfast love, covenant faithfulness, or what we would call mercies. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Steadfast love, again, is abounding mercies, covenant love. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shuns his children. Is that your experience with a father? As a father will not communicate with his children. As a father shows compassion to his children. And you say, well, my father wasn't like that. Well, he should have been. <laughs> and so it's the way it ought to be. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord, who is our father shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Get your view of the Father from that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 7 through 12, one of my favorite texts about gospel ministry, and one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about pastoral ministry. 1 Thessalonians 2, and beginning at, at verse 7, 
we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, and so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us, as a mother gives her whole life for her children. But it doesn't stop there. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's, that's how God functions as a father. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, probably the classic text about God as our father. 2 Corinthians 1, page 1145. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, not of mercy, but of mercies. This is the equivalent of abounding in steadfast love. And God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Christ is the mediator through which these come. The Father of, not mercy, but mercies. Grace, brothers and sisters, mercy is you're getting what you don't deserve. Grace is giving you what you need. And God the Father, through the Lord Jesus as our mediator, gives us both. And Christ, the reason these are linked, Christ shows you the heart of the Father. That's where you see the heart of God the Father, is in Christ who says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. But it's that word mercies he is he's the father of abundant mercy as it says in the old testament father of mercies one modern writer puts it this way god multiplies compassionate mercies to his needful which means you're full of need wayward messy and i added to it and messed up fallen wayward people. Does that describe any of you? It describes your pastor. God multiplies compassionate mercies to his needful, wayward, messy, and messed up, fallen, wayward people. You see why? You're hesitant to come to God because of all of your failings. Yeah, you ask for forgiveness. He's a friend. You come before Get that. But in that way, you have a God who multiplies compassionate mercies to people like you. Needful, wayward, messy, and messed up. Fallen, wayward people. Ray Ortland, in his, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, has a chapter. 
when I read it, I wrote at the top, preach on this, Father of Mercies. And at the very end of that chapter, Ortland, he's going to quote John Flavel, who was a Puritan writer, but, but Ortland writes, as you consider the Father's heart for you, remember that he is the Father of mercies. He's not cautious in his tenderness toward you. He multiplies mercies matched to your every need, and there's nothing he would rather do. Why? He delights in mercy. Remember, said the Puritan John Flavel, that this God in whose hand are all creatures is your Father, and is much, listen, and is much more tender of you than you are or can be of yourself. Your gentlest treatment of yourself, this is Ray Ortland adding this, your gentlest treatment of yourself is less gentle than the way your Heavenly Father handles you. Whoa! Listen again. Your gentlest treatment of yourself is less gentle than the way your Heavenly Father handles you. His tenderness toward you outstrips what even you are capable of toward yourself. And he's doing a lot from Thomas Goodwin's volume on the heart of Christ where Goodwin writes, There is no sin or misery, but God has no mercy for it. And he lists the specific mercies. Remember the language there is mercies that God has. You think of God that way, folks? If you've been primed for whatever reason to think of God as harsh and demanding and unforgiving, and just waiting to see you trip up. You're not going to like praying at all. But when you realize this is your father, you'll be speaking as a child to his or her own father. And brothers and sisters, I want you to start this now. Don't put this off. Say that's something to think about. I want you to ponder it. But when you pray, and I want... As a as your pastor, I want this year to be far more a year that where the where the haven is pregnant with the prayers of his people. Now let me end on this because I realize we're running out of time. Please, 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 don't say your prayers. I had to wait. To put the, I didn't know how else to end this. Don't, please don't say your prayers. Even when you use the Lord's prayers, I hope you do. It's not saying you pray. Folks, you're to pray. I love the hymn. It's not in the Trinity Psalter hymn, unfortunately. Uh, Christian, dost thou see them? How they seek thee fair. It's about spiritual warfare. And I love the little line. While I breathe, I pray. By God's grace, that's what I want you to be. While you breathe, you pray. Now, you say, okay, pastor, all right, okay, so when you pray, when you pray, well, I got it. So what am I supposed to pray for? Well, God willing, we'll start that next week. 
Let's pray. Our Lord, we love speaking to you as children to a father, able and ready to help us. And we love that we pray with and for others. Make us to be a people who know the beauty of the best of all breathing, breathing in your word and breathing out prayer. In the wonderful name of Jesus the King, amen. Amen.